I know that sometimes my prayer life is awesome. Now, I, I don't mean to boast or brag about my prayer life. Sometimes my prayer life is awesome. Sometimes my prayer life is anemic. How many of you have ever felt that way, like your prayer life is anemic? Or uh, how many of you have ever felt like your prayer life is awesome? There's times that it goes both ways, right? There's times when it's like you feel so close to God and all, your first inkling, your first inclination to do anything is just to pray. It's like, I got to pray about this. I got to pray about that. I got to pray. I got to pray. And so we spend a lot of time in prayer when we feel really close to God. Sometimes we don't feel so close to God. And, and the last thing that comes to mind is prayer. And our prayer life tends to get a little anemic. Like it just lacks the oomph. It, it lacks the power. I know that in my life, when I am spending more time in prayer, things tend to go a little bit better. And when I'm not praying, things tend to not go so well. Any of you ever feel that way? That when we feel really close to God and we spend a lot of time in prayer, it increases our spiritual understanding. Uh, it increases our love for God and our trust in Him. And that's not always easy. Prayer, to me, is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. Prayer is one of those things that I just really don't understand sometimes. I believe in prayer. I believe in God. I believe that God answers prayer. But sometimes prayer can be a real mystery to me. Any of you ever feel that way? Prayer is kind of a mystery. I know one of the things that puzzles me about prayer sometimes is how many people does it take to pray for a thing before it actually happens? Have you ever feel that way? Like... Like God would have answered the prayer, only 10 more people would have clicked like on Facebook. Is that not the goofiest thing that we do? That is so goofy. How many people does it take to click like on Facebook for that little dog to be found? I, I don't know. It's just one of them goofy things that we do. Prayer is not a goofy thing, though. Prayer is intimate communication with our Heavenly Father. And here's the good news about prayer. God wants to hear from you. God wants you to pray. And today we're going to talk about that for a little while. We're going to talk about prayer today. We're going to finish up the book of James. Uh, as we talk about our tongues and, and talking about the things that we say, and not just the things that we say to each other, but the things that we say in prayer. So today we're going to talk about praying for each other and the importance of praying for each other. We've been studying the book of James here on Sunday mornings uh, since Labor Day, uh, and now it's coming to an end. Today is our last day in the book of James. And then next week, we're going to start a Christmas series called The First Christmas Pageant Ever. It's a true story, uh, and uh, we're going to examine four, the four main characters of the Christmas story. We're going to talk about Mary next week. We're going to talk about Joseph in two weeks. Then we're going to talk about the angels and the shepherds. And finally, we're going to talk about the star of it all. We're going to talk about Jesus on December 25th. And I know, what a novel concept, right? I went to church and they talked about Jesus. Who knew? So we're going to talk about Jesus uh, the weekend of Christmas. And remember, we got four services, plenty of opportunities to come and worship that weekend. Now, uh, we've talked a lot about the book of James. We talked about a lot of different subjects. Uh, we talked about uh, how God doesn't play favorites and neither should we. And I want you to know right now that I don't care what you look like, where you've been, what kind of car you drive, if you pull up in a $90,000 luxury automobile or if you pull up in a 2009 Hyundai Sonata, thank you very much, white with missing paint on the hood, yes, that's mine. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of car you pull up in, 
we're going to love you the same. We don't play favorites here. I don't care if you come in, uh, what your hair looks like, what your clothes look like. If the preacher can preach in jeans, you can come in a three-piece suit, and that's fine. Or uh, come in in jeans or shorts, whatever you want to wear, whatever you're comfortable with. The most important thing is that you're here. So we don't care what you look like, where you've been, what you've done. But we don't care what your past is. We just, we're more concerned about what your future is. And we want you to go to heaven. And I believe that GFCC is a place for you to learn about how to go to heaven. I've told this to people before. So people are like, Sean, why don't you do more fire and brimstone type of sermons? Pound on your table. Tell people that they're going to hell. That's not my job. My job isn't to tell people that they're going to hell. My job is to tell people how to get to heaven. That's what I believe. So that's what I do. All right. So I want to tell you how to get to heaven. I, I really believe that people kind of go through hell, and, you know, through their lives enough here on earth. I don't want to just beat them over the head and tell them that they're on their way to hell. They're kind of experiencing it already. But if they can get Jesus in their life, then they're going to start to experience heaven in the here and now. And they're going to experience it for all of eternity. That's what I do. And I love what I do. So we talked about favoritism. God doesn't play favorites. Neither should we. We talked about taming our tongues and the things that we say, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We talked about our tongues and the importance uh, of minding our tongues. Uh, we have talked about uh, helping the poor. I just want to give you a real quick update. There's two wells out in the Welcome Center now. Uh, we're about one-third of the way to our second well in money collected. So we collected enough to pay off the first well, and we're about one-third of the way toward the second well. So if you've made a pledge uh, to give towards the wells, you have up until December 25th uh, by the end of the year to get it to us uh, or to the Benevolence Project. Um, we've collected well over $800 of the money that was pledged for benevolence. You guys are amazing, just generous and just great. And, and I thank you so much for your generosity in these projects. It's fantastic. So like I said, if you have, you have up until you got four more weeks to get the money in for the uh, well project, uh, we've got, uh, we're, we're going to dig a second well. And there's going to be people in Ethiopia who are going to have clean water for the first time in their lives. And I think that's awesome. Um, so uh, we talked about that. We talked about helping the poor. Uh, and, and then last week we talked about persevering through pain and pressing on through pain and having patience in pain and, and getting through suffering and how hard that is. Well, today we're going to switch gears and we're going to close the book of James by talking about prayer and talking about a, another part of our speech and what we say in prayer. So if you've got your Bible, turn to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 12 through 20. And then if you've got, if you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. Looks like this. It's on page 856. So it's on page 856 of the Bible in the chair in front of you, or it's on page whatever in the Bible that you brought. So, but it's James chapter 5, verses 12 through 20. Uh, if you want to use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, feel free to do that too. Recommend either Bible Gateway or version. Both are really good options. Um, so we're going to look at James 5, 12 through 20. We're going to take this in four little chunks over the next 10, 15 minutes or so. So let's look at James 5, 12 as we begin. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Now, I've heard this verse before. Maybe you have. It sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, James' brother Jesus, our Lord and Savior, you know who Jesus is, right? Yes, this means yes in America. We know what, who Jesus is. That's why we're here today. Uh, but his brother was James who wrote the letter that we've been studying. And what James says here in verse 12 sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, where he said, again... You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, 
but fulfill your, to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, when it comes to swearing oaths, maybe you've heard this before and thought, well, I could never swear an oath. Jesus said not to. God says, don't swear oaths. I don't want to be condemned, like it says in James chapter 5. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about honesty and integrity in our speech. Now, we need to be honest. We need to have speech filled with character and not dishonest speech. Again, we read in the Bible of other people who swore oaths, and yet they weren't condemned. Even God swore an oath. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. God swore an oath to Abraham. So, obviously, the problem isn't the oath. So, if you have to go to court and testify or anything like that, and you have to swear an oath, that has nothing to do with this. James and Jesus are talking about having honesty in our speech and letting our word be our bond. That when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. We do not hem and haw. We do not lie. We are not dishonest. But rather, we let our word be our bond. And, and when I think about, you know, this idea of swearing an oath and I think about like when you're a kid and you say I swear on a stack of Bibles 10 feet tall any of you ever do that or I swear on my mother's grave my mom's not dead I'm very thankful for that but um but have you ever said that I swear on my mother's grave or something like that you know no your word should be your bond your word should be your word should be honest and filled with integrity so if you say yeah I'm going to do that that means you're going to do it or I'm telling you the truth they know you're telling the truth that your words should be filled with integrity and honesty and not dishonesty or no character. And then James kind of switches gears and gets into prayer. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning is prayer. Look at verses 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any, uh, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, here in verse 13, we see that if any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. And I was looking at some other translations of the English Bible, and, and I saw that each one's a little bit different. In James 5.13 says, If any one of you is suffering hardships. Uh, in the English Standard Version it says, Is anyone among you suffering? I like the way the New American Standard puts it. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Sometimes when we go through hard times, we go through difficult circumstances, we're in difficult situations. Praying is the last thing that we want to do. We don't pray when we're going through hard times. We think, I got to do this. I got to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I got to get out there. I got to make something happen. And we start working in our minds. Okay, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to make this work? How, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And in the reality of the situation is there's nothing you can do. You can't, you got yourself into the mess. How do you think you're going to get yourself out? If you're in a difficult circumstance, if you're in a difficult situation, you must pray. Even when you don't want to. 
Even when you feel like it's the last resort. And by the way, prayer should never be the last resort. It should always be the first option. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, well, I guess all that there's left to do is to pray. That's the first thing we should do. What do you mean that's all we can do? Oh, yeah, all we can do is approach the God who spoke the universe into being. All we can do is uh, uh, approach the God of the universe who made our bodies and knows them inside and out. I guess all we can do now is just ask God. What are you talking about? He is God. He is awesome and mighty and great. And there's no one like him. And he can do anything. We sang the song earlier. God is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And yet we sell him short. We doubt God. How could we ever doubt God when he's worked so many wonders in the past? When he's worked in our favor in the past? When he sent his own son Jesus to die for our sins? How could we ever doubt him? There's two ways that we doubt him though. One, we doubt his, his power. We doubt God's power. You know how I know this? Because I hear people say things like, yeah, well, you know, I'd pray about it, but God's got more important things to worry about. Like peace in the Middle East, whoever's sitting in the White House, violence in Chicago. God's got more important things to worry about. Let me tell you what, there is no one more important to, to God than you. You are important to God. If the Bible says, which it does, if the Bible says that he knows the very number of hairs on your head, or how many used to be there, um, if God knows the number of hairs on your head, he is intimately and interestingly uh, concerned with you. He is intimately concerned with every aspect of your life. Don't sell God short. Don't doubt his power. He can handle peace in the Middle East and your crisis. He can handle the person in the White House as well as your situation. God can handle it. He is powerful and mighty. So don't doubt God. Don't sell him short. The other way that we doubt God is we doubt his love. We sometimes will doubt his power and his ability to help us. But more often than not, we doubt his willingness to help us. Well, God, if you will, and I know you're not going to. You ever do that? Oh, God, I suppose I should pray, but I know you're not going to do it anyway. So that's a terrible attitude. God is powerful and God is loving. He can and will do, uh, according to his will, what needs to be done. That God can do it and God will do it according to his will. The answer isn't, Lord, do what I want you to, but Lord, help me to know your will and to accept your will. And that ain't always easy. But that's when we pray. Instead of making prayer our last resort, it should be our first option. And we do not doubt God in prayer. Instead, we are to pray in faith. Um, there are four things that James tells us that we should pray for and four situations in which we should pray. The first is that we should pray in hardships and sufferings and trials. We need to pray in the hard times. But we also need to pray when we're blessed. We need to praise God in our prayers for the blessings he's given. Uh, Thanksgiving should not be uh, limited to the fourth Thursday in November for Christians. Thanksgiving should just be a Thursday for us. It's just a Thursday. Every day should be Thanksgiving Day for us. Not that you've got to eat turkey every day. <laughs> We'd never get out of bed. Too much drip to fan. That's the hormone in turkey that they say causes you to get sleepy. It really doesn't. 
It's actually all the carbs that we eat at, at Thanksgiving. It's all those carbs, the mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, pumpkin pie. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I know we just did it, but how many of you want pumpkin pie right now? I know I do. The big ton of Cool Whip on top. Did you know Cool Whip comes in a can now? Somebody told me Cool Whip comes in a can. Back to the sermon. Um, so we should pray in troubles, hardships, and suffering. We should play, pray in our blessings. We should pray when we're sick and when we're ill. And not just us pray. We need our elders to pray for us. And I want you to know something about our elders. When we get together for our elders meetings, we pray for you guys. Those prayer requests that you put on the back of your cards, if you turn in a prayer request on the back of your blue card, it is getting prayed for. I promise you that. And so I want you to know that you, uh, you should know that your elders are praying for you. And they're going to keep praying for you. And I pray for you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. That's what we do. The elders are the shepherds of our flock here, our little flock of, of GFCC. And the elders are, are the shepherds here. And they take their job very seriously. So know that you are being prayed for. When you turn that prayer request in, it is being prayed for. And that's what the elders' job is to do, is to care for the flock and to provide for it and to pray for it. And that's what they do. So we need to pray when we're going through hardships in tough times. We need to pray praises when we're, going, when we're being blessed. We need to pray when we're sick and when we're ill, and we need to pray for each other. And then we also need to confess our sins in prayer. We need to confess our sins in prayer. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins in prayer. Here's the crazy thing, is that uh, when it comes to confessing our sins, we think, I can't tell God what I did. Or we try and hide from God. I got news for you. He saw it. He saw you do it. He knows all about it. He is not shocked when you confess your sins to him. Sean, I had no idea. What are you doing? That's not how God operates. God knows. To confess, the word to confess literally means to agree with. When I confess my sins to God, all I'm doing is agreeing with his assessment of the situation. Sean, you're a sinner. Guilty as charged. I am a sinner. We're all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that we are all sinners. It says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all sinners. So when you go to God to confess your sins, he is not shocked. He is not surprised. I had no idea. He knew. He watched you do it. He was there with you the entire time. Makes you want to change a little bit, doesn't it? Maybe a little repentance is in order. But God sees it, we confess it, and God forgives it. It's the good news of the gospel. That through Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, when God, God took them all and heaped them on Jesus, when he died, our sins died too. And if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we will believe in him and repent from our sins, confess our faith, get baptized, God will wash away our sins. We are buried with Christ, as it says in Romans 6. We are buried with him and raised to new life in baptism. That's the beauty of baptism. And God washes away our sins. He forgives us completely. And the same grace that saves us is the same grace that keeps us saved. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about how special we are and unique that God made us. It is about God's grace and this free gift that he has for every single one of us. That's what this whole thing is about. 
And so we need to pray to this God who loves us so much that he sent Jesus, that he put on human flesh, that he suffered and died on the cross, and God raised him back to life. We need to pray to this God because he hears our prayers and he answers them according to his will. And we can trust him. He's faithful. Oh, my friends, he is faithful. He is faithful. Let's keep going. Let's look at uh, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I'm not telling you to pray that it doesn't rain. That's not what James is saying. James is saying is that Elijah was a human being just like us. Now, Elijah was considered one of the two greatest figures of the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses. Uh, in fact, they both show up in Jesus' transfiguration. You have Elijah and Moses there with them because they were two, like I said, of the greatest figures of the Old Testament. And what James is saying is that Elijah was just a regular guy. You don't have to be a superhero of, of faith. You don't have to be a super Christian for God to answer your prayers. And you don't have to go to anybody else. You don't have to go through anyone else to pray for you or, or to pray on your behalf. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking somebody to pray for you, but you don't have to go through me or through an elder to get to God. Jesus tore the veil, and he made it possible for us to have a direct pipeline to God through prayer. We can go straight to him in prayer. And so when it comes to praying, like I said, you don't have to be a, a spiritual giant. You don't have to be a spiritual superhero. You just got to pray in faith. That's what Elijah did. It didn't, 1 Kings 17 and 18 is where you'll find the story of how Elijah prayed, and three, for three and a half years it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and it started to rain. And the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And in my experience, I'll tell you right now, the prayer of a sinner can be pretty effective too. You don't have to be a spiritual superhero to pray. God hears your prayers. Let's close it out. This is the end of the book of James, verses 19 and 20. Brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Jude chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When it comes to praying for each other, and this is so important, we need to pray for each other. We need to lift each other up to God. We need to pray for healing. We also need to confess our sins to each other, as James says. And now I just lost you. You're like, there is no way on this green earth that I'm ever going to tell anybody what's going on in here. Nobody sees the backyard. We need, we need to confess our sins to each other. We need to confess our sins to God, and we need to confess our sins to each other. And here's the reason why. So we can hold each other accountable. And that requires that we go deeper in our relationships. It has to be more, more than a Sunday morning hug and a handshake. You've got to go deeper in your relationships with one another so that you can get to the point where you can say, you know what, I have a struggle with sin, and this is my struggle, and I need you to hold me accountable. I have an accountability partner. I have a, a friend of mine who I can confess my sins to, and he holds me accountable, and he holds me accountable. And he says, Sean, you got to do better. And I'm like, I know. I watched a video the other day of guilty dogs. Have you ever seen guilty dogs? It's like dogs that get caught doing something that they're not supposed to do. Who ate my shoe? Who ate my shoe? And they hold the dog accountable. It's kind of what we need to do to each other. Who sinned? I sinned. Do, a, do better. 
I know, I got to do better. That's right. Out of the mouths of babes. Sean, do better. She agrees. When it comes to holding each other accountable, it requires a couple things. Confidentiality. If you have somebody that holds you accountable or that you need to hold you accountable, you got to be confidential. And it requires openness and vulnerability and just saying, look, I'm a mess. And my life is a mess. And I need your help to get better. That's what the church is all about. It's not just getting together and singing a few nice songs. It's not just about getting together and having a few nice potlucks. It's about deep relationships with one another that we can hold each other accountable and help each other become more like Jesus because that's what we're doing here. So I have a twofold challenge for you this morning. This twofold challenge is this. One, pray for each other. We've got to be praying for each other. We know when we're going through hard times. We know when we're struggling. We know that other people are struggling too. We need to pray for each other and lift each other up to God and say, Lord, I need you to bless so-and-so. I need you to be with so-and-so. I need you to heal so-and-so. We need to pray for each other. And, and that means getting the focus off of ourselves sometimes because a lot of times we'll be selfish in prayer. Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. No, it's time for you to bless someone else. I need to lift them up to you and to your throne. So we need to pray for each other. Second thing we need to do is we need to go deeper in our relationships with each other. And that means, that means getting real. That means being honest. Because here's the thing. I, I love the, uh, uh, there's a church out in Las Vegas, Central Christian Church. I love their motto. Their motto is, we're a church where it's okay to not be okay. Isn't that great? It's okay to not be okay. And that's what I want for GFCC. I want this to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. Now you can come here on a Sunday morning and go, my life is a mess, my life is screwed up, everything is falling apart, and I need help. And you will not be judged, you will not be condemned. Instead, you will be loved. That's what I want for my church. That's what I want for our church. That people can come in here and go, I'm a mess and I'm not okay. And that they will be loved and welcomed and healed by the power of God through his people. That's what I want. And when we do that, when we get to that point and we can say, everyone's welcome here. It doesn't matter what you look like or what kind of car you drive or where you live. It doesn't matter what skin color. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, old or young. The only thing that matters is that we love Jesus and we love you. That's what it's all about. And when we do that, when we start praying for each other, we go deeper in these relationships, we're going to see us change. This transformation that God will bring about, not only in our church family, but in our lives. And we will become more like Jesus. And that's what it's all about.